0: Welcome to the Final Draft Podcast. My name is Andrew Popel, and it is my great pleasure to be welcoming to the show today Victoria Hannon. The Final Draft Podcast explores books, writing, and literary culture. Every week, I broadcast a show called Final Draft out of the studios of 2SER in Sydney, here in Australia. At Final Draft, we are dedicated to exploring Australian writing, from debut authors to the household names, the classics that you know and love. And in each of these conversations, we are looking into the issues that drive the author's storytelling. A way to help you discover more from the books that you love. These are the stories that make us who we are. I always like to begin by acknowledging that 2SEI broadcasts from the lands of the Gadigal people, that I am recording on the lands of the Darug and Gunungara people. I want to acknowledge the traditional owners of those lands and pay my respects to their ongoing connection to their lands. Acknowledging that these are unceded lands and treaty has never been made with Australia's First Nations. As I said, I'm joined on the show today by Victoria Hannan. Victoria has a new novel out uh, called Marshmallow. This was an incredibly uh, gripping, dramatic, moving novel. Um, I cannot wait to share it with you. I cannot wait um, for Victoria to tell us more about the novel. I also need to let you know that Victoria and I, we've spoken before. Uh, You can find my interview with her on her debut novel, Kokomo, if you go back into the podcast archive. But um, important to know is that Victoria and I both have cats. And when we first met, um, we proposed to each other that we should start a podcast called Cat Chat. Um, And so, kind of the first five minutes or so of this this conversation is basically cat chat. If you do not care about my cat and Victoria's cat, or you really just want to dive straight into Marshmallow maybe skip to about the five-minute mark in the conversation. If, however, you want to know a little bit more about how hard it is to record a podcast with cats, well, we have got the audio you are waiting for. I cannot wait to share all of this conversation, cat chat and marshmallow, so join me as we discover Victoria Hannan's marshmallow. Hello. Hello, Victoria, how are you?
1: I'm good how
0: are you? I'm very good. I'm very good. Sorry, good. I'm I'm side-eyeing because I've had one of my cats just here
1: in yep. the workspace
0: and she's she's followed me around the house and is coming back and I'm like it's so hard to get work done.
1: I had to uh, lock mine outside.
0: Does that work? <laughs>
1: Uh, well, he's like four doors away, so even if he scratches at the outside, I mean, he could jump at the window, but you, I don't think you'd hear it. So, yeah, we, it works.
0: See, for, for recording purposes, mine just yowl. Yeah. Okay. It, <laughs> I've had to, um, awesome. I've, they've been introduced on the show many a time, um, along with the I birds. Think,
1: I think we talked about them last time, actually. That doesn't surprise me. Yeah, I think me. actually we were going to start a podcast called Cat Chat. Do you remember <gasps> that? I
0: do remember that now. Yeah. Oh, my God. And look at this, we've yeah. seamlessly fallen back into Cat yeah. Chat.
1: It's like no time has passed.
0: I. Uh, do you know what? I wonder if there is a big... Cat podcast market because I know on YouTube like they've got the do your do your cats watch those like nature videos those nature cams?
1: I've never tried actually. I he seems very bored by most things, so I think he would just be look at it for one second and just go meh.
0: Do does he look at? Uh, does he like looking out the window for? He does,
1: but he also we have a garden, so he is an outside cat. So oh. he has all the stimulation of the garden, and quite recently, a new cat in the neighbourhood who he's trying to befriend. It's very cute. Friends,
0: because um, our, ours are indoor cats, and because we live yeah. in the in the mountains, oh my goodness, just the the array of bird life.
1: Oh yeah, the the buffet available <laughs> to them. Yeah.
0: We'll be. Oh, here we go. No. Um, I'm going to I'm no, you're going to settle. She's she's settling behind the laptop screen.
1: Look, she's welcome to interrupt us at any point. Oh,
0: I she I'm glad you gave her permission. She would not have waited for it. <laughs> okay, good. Um good. thank you for taking time out to chat about this. I am um, I think I wrote in one of the emails setting this up. I said, I, I this book made me cry so much. I, I'd simply had to, to talk about it.
1: Sorry about that.
0: That's a, okay. I look, I mean.
1: It was its intention, I suppose. I was, was going to say, you, was you, successful.
0: you had an inkling that this was what yeah. was going to happen. I
1: mean, it, it made me cry when I wrote parts of it. So I thought that it would, and that was after kind of four or five times. I would rewrite certain sections and find myself in tears.
0: I'm, I'm really interested to explore that because, mm-hmm. you know, I, I I understand that, you know, fantasy writers can, can write about exploring distant galaxies without ever having to do that. But um, I think we all have a, enough of sort of uh, in common with grief that, you know, grief will have to touch us. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I don't think you can move through the world and I don't think you can love people without ever experiencing grief.
0: Mm. Oh, exactly. And I think I, I'm actually, I'm really curious whether, you know, like grief takes different forms and of course comes in different spaces, but whether, you know, not a particular, whether a particular grief, whether we've experienced it or not, like if you haven't experienced it, like the, obviously in this story, I've not experienced, well, not, not directly experienced that, that, but does it hit you more because you're you don't have a touchstone, or you know, does it somehow gloss over, or is it completely individual? Do you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, you mean in the in people's responses to reading it.
0: Yeah, like if you yeah. if, if you're reading, if you're if you're you know watching a film about a type of grief that you've not personally experienced, I, I wonder for some people, does that actually then hurt more because your your mind is. Is sort of set free to imagine into that space
1: yeah i do think it depends on the person i definitely had a variety of reader responses which are like well i've never experienced this so i'm not sure if it hit me in the same way it would have had i to some people being like this is the worst possible thing i could ever imagine and in some ways had trouble reading it because it was just so awful
0: did you find people? I was actually really fascinated because the book's now four months old. Is it?
1: Uh, a bit longer. Sorry, just laughing because my cat is now standing outside the window begging to be let in.
0: Oh no. well, you've just seen the screen go wonky. That yeah. is because someone needs to be given more space. I have, I have to push this back because I'm talking to someone. Sorry.
1: Um, you should. I. Can you just give me one? I know, sorry, of we've course. started, but can you give me one second and I'll just let him inside because it has just started raining. No, no, <laughs> no that's
0: okay. Of course, yeah. of course. So
1: sorry about that. I'm just very unprofessional.
0: Not at all, not at all. I mean, we we were sort of doing the preamble, the sound check, whatever you want to call it. So you know, the interview proper, and we are pre-recording, so there is plenty of space for editing. And, um, and meanwhile, oh, yeah, I, never, I
1: never would have done that if we were if we were live.
0: Do you, know, do you know what? Listeners to this show would have accepted it. <laughs> and and meanwhile, if you'll allow me to tilt my screen.
1: Oh, look at that. What a beauty. Yeah.
0: She's, um, she will. We're, we're having a colder than usual morning in the mountains. Like we've been having just disgusting hot days mm. well, for, for the mountains. Mm-hmm. Disgusting yeah. hot days. Are you in
1: the Blue Mountains?
0: Blue Mountains, yeah. Yeah, oh,
1: beautiful.
0: It's, and it's, it's lovely and it's been like almost no humidity up until sort of, the last month or so, and now she's dealing with the first coldish morning, I think, in a while, and she's like, well, I'm not letting you, I'm not letting this yes. source of warmth away.
1: Yes, you're her human blanket.
0: Precisely. Oh, dear. And she's had four days, like nobody's been home for four days, um, only mm-hmm. in the evening, so it's just like this is this the cat mana. Yeah. Like yeah. Um, do, do you want to jump into the interview Yeah, let's proper? do it. Yeah. Here we go. It is my pleasure to be welcoming to the show, Victoria Hannan. Victoria is a writer and photographer living in Melbourne. Her debut novel, Kokomo, won the Victorian Premier's Literary Award for an unpublished manuscript. You met her on the show. We talked about Kokomo and it is so exciting to be welcoming her back with her new novel, Marshmallow. Victoria, it is great to have you here.
1: Thank you so much for having me again.
0: I'm really excited um, to talk about this. As we get started, though, um, Marshmallow is this terrific novel, but it has some really heavy themes, and we are going to be talking about grief, and I I wanted to let listeners know about that. Um, And if that's something you don't feel like you need right now, um, you might want to tune out. But also, if today's conversation brings anything up for you, know that you can reach out. There are many services. I'm going to mention Lifeline. You can call them on 131114 if you need support. in any way. Now, Victoria, I, I'm going to ask you about how you introduce the book, but I just want to give a little bit of a, a preamble. We have five friends, all bound by love, by, by good times, and by their history. One year ago, though, everything changed. And now, as they orbit each other's worlds, can they come together and find the strength to carry on? I mentioned off air, and I'm going to mention it again. I, I feel like I almost feel like I need to prepare myself for this conversation. Um, I wanted to talk with you because I loved Marshmallow for so many reasons, but it also had me shedding more than its fair share of tears. You've obviously been sitting with this story for a long time. Are you are you able to be sanguine talking about it? Like, how does it how does it hit you still? I
1: think now that I'm a couple of years into the story, I've had some time to sort of be able to shield myself from the really sad bits. But definitely during the writing process, there were more than a few moments in the story where I found myself in tears. And that was from writing it for the first time all through the editing process. So I probably spent about a year reading my own book and then crying to my own words. Um, But definitely now I have some distance. And I think this is a sort of a theme with grief as well, that distance definitely makes things a little bit easier to bear.
0: Marshmallow, we've foreshadowed this. It is a story about loss and grieving. Um, of course, you you spend all this time writing. You spend a lot more time. I'm sorry, I won't won't pretend. But you spend all this time reading and immersing yourself in a book. And it wasn't until I went back, I noticed my copy, um, there's the loss at the center of the story. It isn't specifically named in the synopsis. Someone coming into this this book um, has this sense of the loss and the grief. Are you comfortable talking about that specifically? We don't have to, um, or would you prefer that maybe we leave that as something for the reader to discover and we talk around it?
1: I think it's such a, a heavy topic that I don't like to think of it as a surprise or as something that can be spoiled because it really is sort of the foundation around which this story is built. So I think it is okay to talk about it because I would hate a reader to feel like they're going to get some nice plot twist. And actually, it's just something that's really horrific that happens to these characters.
0: It's a, Yeah. And I mean, I, I actually was when I was thinking about that, it was also just something about um, I, I think you deal with this really beautifully in the in the story in the novel. There are aspects of naming it. Uh, the central the central characters they sort of talk around it in their own head. There are certain things that they can't say um, until very very late in the novel, which is enormously impactful, but also felt very true. I mean, it's it feels like. All all of the all of the metaphors feel true here, that it's an open wound. It's a it's a bruise that you don't want to, to push too hard.
1: Yeah, I think for many of the characters in this book, talking around it and thinking around it is just very much a coping mechanism. Mm. They're all just trying to get up in the morning and go on with their days and keep on living. And if they spend too much time thinking about The realities of it and the realities of not just what happened but what what has been lost i don't think they would still be able to get out of bed
0: i suspect you and i even though we've we've introduced this we've said you know this is something that we can name we are probably also going to have a a few exchanges where we are sort of dancing around it i i want to start really general and ask where did this story begin for you
1: Um, I, a few years ago, I spent some time with a couple who had lost a child about six years earlier and their child was, so I think now we can probably reveal what the the thing Mm. in the story is because otherwise this doesn't make sense. This is a story about a group of friends, um, two of which are a couple whose child dies in quite shocking circumstances. Um, and so, yeah, I'd spent some time with a couple who had lost a child maybe six years earlier. Um, and the grief in their lives and between them and just with them individually was still palpable. It's like I felt it in the room with us. Mm. And I just, I guess I started to imagine what that would feel like and what their lives must feel like with this enormous hole in it. And I started to wonder how people ever recover from that, this humongous loss in their lives. And I think this is something that not many people talk about it, but I do believe there is kind of a hierarchy of grief in some ways. And it's like the very worst thing, the most unimaginable thing that you can think of happening is the death of a child. Mm. Um, and so I think that just got stuck in my head and I just started to build, um, this world of these characters and started to imagine what it would feel like and how they would get up in the morning. Um, again, if something like this happened to them.
0: Yeah. And I'm going to, I think what I'm going to do, Victoria, I'm just going to do like a teeny tiny little audio timeout and sort of acknowledge for our listeners that, what we're talking about we talked off air about grief and the way it can sneak up on you and i think probably for yourself and for myself there might be and for for some of the listeners who are um who are you know joining us today there are going to be moments there are going to be things in the conversation that that just sneak up on you and it's like that just happened to me there and I'm like, okay, I can feel this like in the corner of my eyes where, you know, it's we get a little bit moist or a, a catch in the throat. So, um, you know, this is this is real and um, if our audio goes a bit funny, it's probably like either or both of us having one of those moments and I just thought, I, I don't know, I, I, I felt that happening to me there and if I get a little bit, oh, I can't talk, that's – and for yourself as well, that might be what's happening here. Yeah,
1: if there's any dead air, it's just because we are silently weeping.
0: Mm. <laughs> So I want to I want to establish this friend group. We have Annie and Nathan, Claire, Al, and Evelyn or Ev. Um, and through through reminiscences. So Marshmallow is structured um, in very much in the present. We are we are moving forward over a, the course of a couple of days um, towards the first anniversary of this event, this death. Um, but also we, we juxtapose that with reminiscence where each of the characters will take us back to points in their lives, in their friendship. Through those reminiscences, you show us the power of that friendship, but then it, it also felt to me like those same bonds, you're establishing this, this shared history. Those same bonds are what's holding them apart in their grief. Did Marshmallow have you reflecting on that, on that nature of friendship? Yeah,
1: I think so. And I think, and I said, sort of did this similarly in Kokomo, Um, wanted to explore just the power of friendship. Um, And I guess in my life, friendship has played an enormous role in my life at times when I haven't had a romantic partner, for example. Those are the friendships that have held me up and stayed with me. And I have people in my life now that I've been friends with for well, more than 20 years, but some of them like really solid friendships that have lasted for 20 years. And those friendships can, you know, the strength of them can change and the the colour and shape of them can change. But those bonds of, of, you know, sort of half my lifetime have really held me up. And I love exploring friendship Mm. in fiction because I think it can be so nuanced and complex and the way that you can be jealous of friends yet still love them and sort of be annoyed by them but still love them. And just, I, yeah, I think it's a really powerful thing to explore.
0: And by its nature, friendship is, is often something we take for granted. But friendship is almost like the bedrock on which we allow the rest of our life to happen. And we seem to think like those events are what's interesting. But really, it's it's the friendships that that make them happen, that cement us so that we can just exist in the world.
1: Yeah, and I think in this book it was really important to show those flashbacks into times in the past when things were happy and everyone was having a good time. And um, I think that was important to show, to, to be able to show what had been lost in the loss of this child. It wasn't just the child, it was kind of the, these people's ability to experience joy together.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, we have the central friend group emerging when Claire, Evelyn and Nathan meet as law students. They're all talented and it's their their dispositions and their choices that kind of set them apart and set them on their life paths They whilst they remain firm friends. Now, Evelyn, I'm, I'm just going to start with Evelyn because she chooses to leave law for teaching and that really fascinated me. Her choice was natural for her, but it also created a gulf or i felt like at times you were exploring this gulf um, at least in wealth and the subsequent opportunities that presents between her and the others what were you exploring there like evelyn evelyn is an extraordinary character precisely because everyone seems to see her as as this rock this almost like they they can all sort of in an elemental metaphor that i'm botching here <laughs> they can sort of toss themselves against <laughs>
1: Yeah, I feel like Ev was a really interesting character to write because I, in exploring the kind of, I guess, the class differences and the differences in people's privilege, I wanted to show how much that can also affect how we can recover from trauma Mm -hmm. and from something horrible like this happening. Like if you are financially comfortable in your life, then you can afford to take more time off work. You don't have to worry about whether your house is going to be taken away from you and you're going to end up with nothing. Um, And I think that was sort of an important undercurrent in this story because we have people who are very financially well-off, who have never really wanted for anything and never lost anything in their lives. And then we look at taking away something from them that is so huge and monumental but imagine if that had happened to someone with less privilege to them. It's just, yeah, it's a it's a very complicated thing to try and explore, and I'm not sure I did it as well as I hoped I, I would um, because it's just so nuanced and there's so much there to, to get into. But, yeah, it was definitely something that was playing on my mind while I was writing.
0: I mean, and just also, like, shout out to teachers. It felt very true that Evelyn was this incredibly um, – strong character who also had made these choices. And I just, I you know, in awe of teachers and what they do every day. And the idea that she would be the rock does not surprise me at all.
1: <laughs> yeah. I don't know that she felt like she was, but it was interesting that everybody else saw her as this incredibly strong, reliable person. Whereas I think she was sort of crumbling a little bit, but her coping mechanism and also the way that she's just had to be her whole life based yeah. on how she was brought up with a single mum not having anything, uh-huh. is that she always just had to show up. She's never had a choice other than to just show up. And so that really yeah. comes through in this friendship group.
0: And again, ring so true. I'm sure you know teachers as well, Victoria. And it's just that's who they are. They they show up, they are the rock, but and then they never feel like they are. They never feel like that's quite enough. So just this tiny moment to fanboy Um, to the teachers out there, (laughs) of course, we, we can juxtapose this with Nathan and Annie. Um, and Nathan particularly, um, is portrayed. He's a well-connected mover and shaker. He comes from money. He comes from influence. You obliquely connect him to the sort of the halls of power in Victoria and, and also nationally. He's come from wealth, but of course this cannot protect him from grief I found his biography though particularly interesting because, of course, there are ways to be privileged, but he he is very much you know r- at the very top, and he's sort of been been risen there. Why did you choose this particular profile?
1: It was <clears throat> <excuse> me, <clears throat> It was interesting to me. I mean, I don't really know anyone like that, so it was an interesting world to explore, and I also thought there was something quite fascinating about someone who grew up with that much privilege, who has that much power, who is surrounded by a group of friends who are, <clears throat> sorry, I just need to take a sip of water.
0: Of course. <clears throat>
1: um, surrounded by a group of friends who are left leaning, who are want to do well in the world. And it's like he is sort of, I guess, straddling these two worlds of wanting wealth and power and coming from that world and having his sister and his friends around him kind of try and pull him the other way a little bit. And then what does that look like when you pull the rug out from underneath someone and what that looks like is someone who just becomes paralyzed and can't do anything.
0: And of course, in if we, if we were to try and put ourselves into their shoes in their friend group, we would, I guess, alternately see for Nathan in some ways that puts more pressure on him. Yes. He's secure in his sort of financial state, but he feels, he he feels the weight of the world on him and his responsibility. Um, whereas, you know, from the outside, it may look like he, he has this luxury to kind of disconnect. And, and in some ways that's very much what, what Annie has done. She, she has needed to almost completely disconnect. And that's, made it incredibly difficult for the two of them as a couple.
1: Yeah. And I think um, the fact that he has all of that weight on him and that pressure, I think giving him I suppose someone who has had that much privilege in their life is not used to losing out on things. But Mm. I just, I think I wanted to show that nobody is safe from loss and nobody is safe from grief. But that the way that you can react to it varies so greatly depending on what your background is, who the people are around you. And I think as we haven't talked about Al yet, but, and I'm sure we will next, um, he Uh, It's kind of his reaction to this experience is very much clouded by previous losses in his life. So I think what I was trying to show is that there is no normal, clean, Mm. easy way to handle grief. There's no the five stages of grief. uh, If you actually look into the history of them, they were originally intended to um, help people who had terminal illnesses cope with what the last stages of their life look like. And so they don't take into account any of this other stuff and just the experiences that you come into something like this with uh it doesn't yeah those five stages just don't take in any of that into account.
0: And it is not surprising to me at all that some very specific aspect of science has been popularly misunderstood but it really is it is such a thing where those are the times when we are feeling at our at our lowest at our most hopeless we want something to grab hold of and we will we will we will grab hold of of anything and you are absolutely right i do want to talk about our next <laughs> unless you want to talk about claire i claire is also such an incredibly interesting character um who i have not specifically um d- drawn on yet but I oh, know. Do you want? Do you want to talk about Claire because she has, she has this incredible. She she's in a guilt situation because she has the world unfolding for her. She has these incredible opportunities presenting themselves. I was really also interested because you, you parallel very close to history with Claire's character there, and um and what did you see in her? I f- she felt like a, a a beloved character insofar as they're all obviously beloved characters.
1: Yeah, Claire's an interesting one. She is very, I can see her as a person who's very good at compartmentalizing. So she is able to go, these are the feelings that I can, am able to have in this five minutes of time that I have available and now I'm going to go and spend eight hours in my, eight to 12 to 15 hours in my very um, stressful, high-powered job. And so she's, up until kind of the time period in this book, she's been very good at going I can deal with this here and this here, and I'm going to do this. So it's incredibly organized, quite like, I guess, quite tight in the way that she experiences the world. She'll give just a, just a tiny amount, except when it comes to Al, who's really been the only person in her life who's managed to kind of unpick some of that and kind of get all those feelings out of her. Uh, and so the way that she has, kind of dealt with this grief in the last year is by working really hard, just like going to work or staying at work, sometimes not coming home from work. Um, and I think because her and Al live together, um, I think he, he's very obviously unraveling. She's trying to kind of keep herself together. And for that reason, their relationship is sort of falling apart because they're just not on the same page and they're not dealing with things in the same way.
0: He he, um, he represents really something that she is fearful of and can't allow herself to do.
1: Yeah, which is wearing his grief very much on his sleeve. Um, yeah, and so I think the two of them together are a very interesting couple and an interesting juxtaposition in terms of characters. Mm. But um, it was quite fun to see Claire fall apart a little bit. And I'm not fun, that's the wrong word. It was an interesting exercise in making someone who is quite – I don't want to say uptight, but, like, who holds herself together very tightly and just sort of slowly start to unravel.
0: Mm. Al, I've, I've now managed to manufacture leaving Al to the end. We we begin. I'm just trying. It's a problem. You begin a book and then you read it and you forget where you began. We begin with Al's perspective, don't we? We do, mm-hmm. yeah. And maybe, maybe for that reason, maybe for others, I was really rooting for Al. He is portrayed; he is this incredibly lovable and loved character, and everything, everything from his his height he's you know very tall, um, described as very good looking. But uh, that, and also his background, it it others him within the group. He's always. He's always this extraordinary, noteworthy person. People want to talk to him and talk about him. I got the sense that this is both a part of who he is, living living in Australia, living in Melbourne, but also a, a point of contention for him and that beneath the surface he was always seething and struggling to kind of keep that together.
1: Yeah, I think um, he yeah, he's a very just lovable, loving, warm person. But I think there is constantly a battle in his head dealing with some demons from the past and that's always going to kind of hold him back a little bit because he holds a lot of guilt and a lot of blame inside and doesn't like to talk about it. So he just bottles it up and bottles it up until he explodes. And um it was f- interesting to write a character who in when he's having good times is so obviously incredibly warm and lovable and fun to be around and just like just an incredibly beautiful person beast just to watch him be so unkind to himself and mm. to do so many destructive things because he's just not coping with some of the things that he has experienced in the past, which is being brought up by this last year of grief and trauma that he's experiencing.
0: Mm. It had me, like it really had me thinking both in, in Al and I guess to a certain extent Ev. what we were saying about Ev, where you have these characters who, and I'm not, when I say when we have characters in books, but also we have, you, you draw these characters amazingly these could be people in our lives when we have these people in our lives who are always so one thing the the strength or the the fun th- that we we should keep in mind like it's it's almost impossible to always be that and you know everyone out there like if you have someone like that in your life check in with them because perhaps they are feeling that they need to be that and that they can't be more of themselves you you, there's a really interesting scene towards the latter part of the book where Al is forced to confront those elements of his past and he sees, I guess I, I assumed you were presenting this almost as a parallel, a friend who took a different path, had a different response to their, their shared grief. And, and for Al, that I guess that was really revelatory because he didn't choose that path. he didn't, but he, he is on the verge of potentially going that way now.
1: Yeah, he didn't choose that path. It was kind of chosen for him by his life's circumstances. A lot of things happened to him when he was young that he didn't have control over. And so I think he's sort of been, and I guess, comes. sorry.
0: Not at all, not at all.
1: He comes, uh, I I guess, from a, a background where, Maybe men are supposed to be strong and he and I, I think a lot of men feel that way still, but has just felt like he hasn't been able to appropriately deal with that stuff, mm. um, because maybe societally he hasn't been able to or he just hasn't let himself admit that there's a problem. Mm. Um but yeah, it just leads up to it all being too much for him to handle.
0: Yeah. Just shouting out to the men now. Sometimes being strong is actually about opening yourself up. So I don't know. I don't know who needs to hear that, but let's let's just say that. Uh, I describe the group as orbiting around each other. Um, the story in the here and now progresses towards the anniversary of um, of the young the child that we're talking about's death. I won't ask you to solve all the world's problems, but as the group struggle to reach out to each other, struggle to find each other again. What in- insights did you have into why it is so hard to reach out, particularly to those we love, particularly to those who might be able to you know, support us?
1: I'm not sure that I did have any revelations about it, but I think some of it reflected some of my own experiences. Um, just, after, just before I started writing this book, my mum passed away. And there were definitely times when I didn't want to talk, and I'm I'm a big talker. I'd you know I have done a lot of therapy in my life, and I'm a big fan of talking about things and talking to other people about their problems. But there were times when I just didn't want to talk to anybody, and I would have friends reaching out, and I just kind of shut myself down mm. and watched many Fast and the Furious movies and like all the Mission Impossible movies I don't know why but that was just something that made me feel better for some reason Um, and just didn't want to talk to anybody and I just I thought that was an interesting thing to explore that even though there are people that have a shared experience to you they were all there when it happened and so they all know what that feels like sometimes you just can't you don't want to talk about it you just don't want to reach out to the people that love you even though you know they're there for you and I just think that is just a part of human nature. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I think one thing I did want to explore with this novel was just how, I guess, people's grief can look completely different in, for different people. So for me, as I said, I watched a lot of action films um, and I, for some reason, just wanted to drink a lot of chocolate milk. And I was like, well, at times I thought, am I doing this wrong? Like, is this the wrong way to be dealing with this? But then I realised that it's just what I what what I needed in that time mm-hmm. in my life was um, the rock. I don't know why, but I did. Um,
0: Wait, yeah. literally the rock, not the, the not rock. like not like a rock against which no, to. No, literally the Dwayne rock. Johnson. Thank Dwayne Johnson. Dwayne, Dwayne
1: Johnson. Sorry, I know that he prefers to be <laughs> referred to like that. I'm, I apologise if you're listening. To no, this
0: <laughs> just we're just we're just clarifying it for all the. <laughs> yeah,
1: um, and. I also, like Nathan does in this, um, in this book, I played a lot of solitaire because I wanted my mind to be distracted by something. And that was easy. Um, And so, yeah, I think I just wanted to show that there's no right or wrong way to do it. And that grief is so different for everybody. And so if there is anybody out there that's going through it and feels like they're doing it weird, you're not, you're just doing the way, doing it the way you need to do
0: it. Yeah. I had and I, I wanted to clarify when you said the rock there, because I, I in my head I, I had created this kind of metaphor of the grief kind of being an edifice and all of the all of your characters are it's almost like they're afraid of what happens when they dash themselves against it, when they impact that it's going to somehow break them. And at different points for different characters, and sometimes these are by themselves, sometimes these are shared experiences, it's almost like something else helps break that edifice first. It's like I don't know, this. I feel like I'm going in the wrong direction with this, but it's almost like, you know, if you're falling into water from a, gr- a great height, you're supposed to break the surface tension. They needed something to break the surface, surface tension so that they could safely meet this, this thing that they'd been avoiding.
1: Yeah, I, think, I don't think that's incorrect at all. I think that's pretty spot on, actually. They were all bracing themselves for the fall
0: mm.
1: or for hitting the surface, but actually when they did, it turned out that it wasn't so bad. Mm. Um, and that they were able to kind of do it together, um, which I think is a really important lesson, was an important lesson for me to learn as well. It's just like the most unimaginable, awful thing. Quite often it is survivable, mm. and <clears throat> in some ways it will be the worst thing that has ever happened to you, but in other ways it will be not so bad and Yeah, and I think that was something that I learned after the death of my mother was that that seemed really to be the worst possible thing that could ever happen to us. And in many ways, it was. But I think it was survivable. And I did learn a lot of lessons about resilience and also Dwayne Johnson.
0: (laughs) There are, you know, Vin Diesel's listening right now and he's like. "Mm -hmm, mm Or something like that. I oh actually, my goodness! Yeah, I'm gonna have to edit that out.
1: No, you have to keep that in. I'm I do worried. worry. I do worry constantly about upsetting Vin Diesel.
0: Most people do. Um, now, <laughs> I've completely lost my Sorry. track. There, I've completely <laughs> lost my track. No, I remember now. There are like there are there are as many books in the world as there are reading experiences and, and we can look to books for escape. Some books are a race to the ending. Some books are about the denouement. I think Marshmallow is one of those books that you ride alongside. Every um, every moment is, and joy f- is going to feel like a weird word here, but every moment is a joy as we, we come to better know these characters. Um, and we, we talked before about the idea of, you know, spoilers aren't really as relevant in this book but i want to talk about the ending of the book so of course no spoilers um and not not what happened so much but the fact of an ending for a story like this was it difficult to know a way the right way how you were going to draw such a charged narrative to a close
1: I did know that I always wanted, and I don't think this will be a spoiler because we're kind of leading towards it throughout the whole book. I did know that I wanted the characters to all be together in the end. That was very important to me to have these five people come together. Mm. So really the journey for me in writing it was to work out how to get them there and the circumstances under which they would arrive there and how they would be feeling when they got there. Mm. Um, And in terms of, finding an, a kind of natural end point that was hard. Um, but, um, yeah, it was sort of helped along by a peripheral character who's a 12-year-old child who, um, to me, was the person who was grieving better than all of them put together. Mm. She was the one who was able to talk about it very openly and um, express love um, which I think is what they were all really trying to do in the end. But um, Ruby was the one who was, I think because of her age, was the one who was yeah, able to just so freely express the love that she felt for her cousin who had died.
0: Mm. It feels like it, 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 was, it was a journey that you wanted to end because you could see these characters going through so much and, and as we grow to know them, we don't want them to be... In this pain, but also, it was remarkable to see it all come together, and um, I'm really, I'm really happy for that. Like I said, I, you know, shed more than my fair share of tears with this book, and that's a good thing. Like that's a good thing. What is? Why do we read if not to? have these experiences um so victoria look thank you so much i'm going to i think we'll still we'll do this in a proper order because for people that that have tuned in today and um and are listening through this might have brought up a lot of stuff um and and we we talked about how if you hear a break in our voice that's probably why so if this has brought up anything for you lifeline is one resource that you can access they are available in 131114 i think if you google lifeline they also have um services that you can access online. Um, I am speaking with Victoria Hannan. Her exquisite novel, Marshmallow, um, has taken me through so much. And I really like the chance to talk about this is such a privilege. Thanks, Victoria.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thank you for joining us. That is it for this incredible conversation with Victoria Hannan. Victoria's new book is called Marshmallow. It is out now from Hachette. Final Draft is recorded on the lands of the Darug and Gunungurra people. The show is presented and produced by Andrew Popel. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. If you want to get in touch, if you want to stay in touch, you will find Final Draft on the, uh, on the socials, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Just look for at Final Draft 2SER. When you subscribe in, a podca- in your podcast app, whichever podcast app you use, I don't judge, we're there, you will get a new Final Draft interview every single week. You will also get the Final Draft book club. It's another little segment that we do. It's an introduction, a little bit of uh, a little bit of opinion. Should you read it? Should you not? It's a nice short introduction to some of these books. I am Andrew Popel. I will be back next week with another great conversation from an incredible Australian author here on Final Draft. Till then, I hope you have a good week of reading. Bye now.